0: Three, two, one. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Abstract Podcast. Uh, we are very lucky today. We have Roderick Jefferson of uh, Roderick Jefferson and Associates joining us. Um, and uh, what we're going to be talking about today is aligning sales enablement to the, the new buyer's journey, um, the changing buyer's journey. What is that next evolution of sales enablement? And uh, Roderick is really the guy that's kind of leading the charge on that. With that being said, Roderick, I'll pass it to you, sir, to uh, introduce yourself before we kick this off.
1: First of all, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate it because sales enablement is shifting, as with everything else in the world, and it's shifting fast. So I am Roderick Jefferson. I'm the CEO of Roderick Jefferson and Associates. We are a sales enablement and sales coaching firm, primarily focused in kind of that SMB space, if you will, the 10 to 300 million. A little bit about myself. First and foremost, I'm a sales guy. I started out carrying a bag as a BDR years ago at AT&T, got promoted to AE, did well, went to President's Club a couple times, got promoted to sales leader and promptly turned it down. Because I realized that I love the process of selling, more than I did taking down big deals. So as any good salesperson does, talk myself into a new role of regional sales trainer. And I figured, you know, I can share all my tools and templates and all the things that had gotten me to President's Club, and it worked out nicely. So over the last 20 plus years, I have either grass or run enablement at Siebel Systems, Network Appliance, eBay, HP, Oracle, Salesforce, and Marketo. And in the last three years, I had decided to start my own firm and really focus on, like I said, that SMB space and absolutely loving it. So enough about me. Let's give the people something they can listen to.
0: Yeah. Love it. Absolutely. Well, Marketo, Salesforce, um, those are uh, pretty well-known brands and president's club. I can't remember the last time I even thought about what president's club might be like. I feel like that's like a, <laughs> maybe a dream. We might all kind of see come to fruition one day when uh, one we all day kind we'll of get, get back, back together
1: to... and, and people have stories that they can't tell when they get back to the office.
0: Love it. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, let's lay some groundworks for today's conversation. So, um, It's very rare that we get to talk to individuals who have coined specific terms that are so synonymous with B2B software sales. And um, you actually coined the term sales enablement. So I feel kind of honored to be talking to you. And just to make sure we're all on the same page, how do you define sales enablement, Roderick?
1: I define sales enablement as getting the right people in the right conversations with the right tools at the right time, that ultimately leads to increased revenue, acceler- excuse me, accelerated speed of revenue, increased seller productivity, and creating customers for life.
0: Love it. And when we say right people, we're talking about internal stakeholders, product marketing, marketing, sales, customer success, right? We're not talking about prospects?
1: No, we're talking about the, the full ball of wax. And let's not okay. leave out partners and alliances also. Okay. Right? Because what we do is... is Kind of three things in enablement. We communicate, we collaborate, we orchestrate. And let me explain what that means. On the communication piece, it's about making sure that everyone is on the same page, that things are clear and they're concise and they're consistent. You've got scalable and repeatable processes and tools, et cetera. But enablement's not about tools; It's about people. So that's where the collaboration comes in. And I always explain enablement this way in an analogy. Think about an orchestra. You've got brass, percussion, strings, woodwinds, all coming together. Now, let's align those to lines of business inside of your company. Everyone's trying to do the right thing for the prospect or the customer. But the problem is sometimes they're playing notes on top of each other, sometimes they're malaligned, sometimes they're sour. Until one person, or in this case, individual, sales enablement steps up, taps the stand, and all of that noise becomes a beautiful sheet of music.
0: I love that. I played saxophone for about an hour before I gave <laughs> up. I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm never going to be able to carry a tune. So That's all right. That's interesting. So there's some challenges presented today in the fact that we're no longer in the office. More and more companies are talking about fully remote forever. Um, I think we've all come to grips that things need to change from a vendor perspective. Um, really what I want to talk to you about is, What's going on with the new buyer's journey? How is that changing? Um, you know, we don't have a group of buyers now that can reach across the aisle, talk to each other about their opinion on a product. Um, they're not in a conference room anymore. Um, I'm just, I'm really curious if buyers' expectations have changed, and you know, kind of what your thoughts are on the how this looks six months, a year, two years from now in terms of the buying landscape.
1: Let's put aside kind of the selling landscape for a little bit. And that is the loaded question of all loaded questions and and a fantastic one. Absolutely. It's changed along with everything else, because now that we are remote, we're all more dependent on being able to humanize the tools that are available. And let me explain what I mean. Now, there was a time when, like you said, the buyers could connect. Now buyers are far savvier than they've ever been because they've got access to more information whether it be through G2 or tools like that, or even their own internal or external networks. So they're having these conversations further along down the buying stream than they were before, before they bring in a sales professional, an AE, SE, et cetera. So now they're prepared. They are not looking to be sold. And I always say to people, now is the time where we've got to start, especially enablement, to start enabling our sellers to start having conversations and stop giving presentations. You can't lean on the demo anymore like you used to. And I also think that it's an opportunity now to really approach conversations differently. First of all, you've got to build rapport in a different way with that buyer, right? You're not sitting across the table, you can't look up and go, oh, we went to the same school, or oh, I (laughs) see you like the fish, there's pictures of your family. Now you really have to genuinely focus on asking questions to get answers, to help find a solution, not just to ask the next question so that you can sell something, right? And the next thing is about creating a virtual community. You have to stay in constant contact more with your buyer now than you ever have. The level of contact now would have been considered a nuisance in previous selling. But if you don't stay connected, guess what? Your competition is. So you've gotta find creative ways to reach out and, and I will quote my buddy, John Barrows. Don't check in and don't just reach out to see how things are going. <laughs> that's no. a useless thing. No, I'll give totally. you a third thing also to that and add on to that. At one time, starting an email with, how are you handling things in these turbulent, difficult times? Stop it. Yeah. It feels disingenuous now. percent. They know why you're reaching out, but you have to reach out with specific information that is of high importance to the buyer. The buyer's journey now has to be the foundation in which all selling sits upon. And it should have been already, but it hasn't been. because what we did previously was we had these selling motions, sales sell stages, sales process, sales methodology, right? And sales tools. And we tried to shoehorn the buyer into those. Now it's about going up a level, asking the buyer the right questions, making sure that you're opening asking those open-ended questions. But more importantly, that there has a true business outcome to this, and no longer is it about bits, bytes, and bots, and features and benefits.
0: Yeah, I want to back up for two seconds and talk about things like G two Crowd because um, I, I've talked to a couple people. I get some people who ask me, you know, how do you how have you found success in sales? And I start talking about, well, are you using Google Alerts? Are you using G two Crowd? Um, how are you using those tools? And the blank stare I get is just kind of crazy to me because it just shows such a lack of training and enablement from the leadership at these companies that they're not teaching their sellers, like how to pay attention to what companies are doing, how to understand where buyers are going to look for information. If you don't know where your buyers are going to look for information, how do you know what they're seeing? How do you know what they're finding out about you?
1: Uh, How do you know what's important to them?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So...
1: I'm surprised to hear you say that because in the consulting world and in enablement, and I'll say true enablement, those are staples. Now I'll flip the coin and say why I'm not surprised because training ain't enablement. I believe that you train animals and you enable people. Uh... With that said, let's stop for a moment and think about what training is a one-time spot event that doesn't have reinforcement and ongoing behind it. Enablement is an ongoing occurrence where the act of training is simply the kickoff or a component of it's not the end-all, the be all. So if they're not getting this from their enablement people, what they're getting is training. You should be able to find tools like this from true enablement practitioners. And if, if the folks out there are the practitioners, I'll say now, connect with Sales Enablement Society. Because what you're yeah. going to get is thought leadership from a variety of different verticals, you're also going to find out that there are some analysts in there that are going to give you where these tools sit, right? There's the Forrester's, the Gartner's, this um, Serious Decisions, those type folks. That's where I go, right? And I say, what? tell me how does this compare to this? I can get it from G2, and I do. But then I go and say, of the clients that you're working with or customers you're working with, who's using what and why do they like it? Why do they not like it? Why is more important today sometimes than what? What is about the user experience? And that's important. But why is, what's the outcome of this that you're driving to? And how do you get there? And how do you then wrap, and dare I say, revenue-focused metrics around all of these things? No more, I feel like, no more <laughs> smiley sheets and butts and seats, as I call it. <sighs> if enablement can't truly justify how they're either accelerating speed to revenue, they're increasing seller productivity, they're removing um, buyer obstacles, and they're creating customers for life, I'm just going to say it, and people are going to be mad, but you're useless. Hey, you're I love it. enablement.
0: I could not agree more, could not agree more. Um, We'll get back to the, the, the measurements, how we measure success in sales enablement a little bit later. But ultimately our first couple bullet points, really buyer's journey has changed and companies need to start understanding what that buyer's journey looks like. And then we don't just train our reps, we enable them on an ongoing basis so they understand why things are important to these prospects they're now engaging with.
1: Absolutely. And, and I've got a couple of other things that I want to talk directly to my sales enablement practitioners out there. And that is, if you have not re- worked with marketing and product marketing to readdress and reset your ID, ICP, your ideal customer profile, go do it now. Because right now requires a stronger partnership between sales, marketing, sales enablement, et cetera, than ever. Got to make sure you've got an airtight end to end process. I'm talking about messaging, positioning, go to market strategy, short, medium, and long term metrics, and of course, a different approach to enablement. Yeah. Why? Because the C suite is far more accessible now than ever. And you've got to get your folks that may not have ever had this access and availability the understanding of how to talk to them, what's top of mind, and what language they speak. Next is you can expect the VP of sales or the CRO to be intimately involved in deals. Why? Because they're at risk too right now. And also the buyer's journey has extended as well as the number of people that are included in that. And here's some stats for you. This is from uh, rainsellstraining.com and also from course AI. Okay. Average number of conversations to close a deal has bumped up to about eight now. The average number of decision makers per deal somewhere between five and seven. There's a 45% increase in the number of sales leaders that are joining meetings compared to the same baseline pre-COVID. And finally, 36% increase of leaders on the buyer side are now participating in these conversations. Wow. Why? Because everyone has something at risk yeah. and that criteria has shifted. And if we don't make the shift as sellers, as enablers, We're going to have a problem.
0: Brings me to a point around working cross-functionally within organizations. I want to talk about because it's definitely has changed. And there's one thing that I got into sales, Roderick, because I like the idea of I'm measured on my performance, not on the number of hours I work. Um, And what's crazy to me is I had submitted a demo request a couple days ago for a product I was evaluating. And I think I submitted five demo requests. It was like 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. One company got back to me. Can you tell, can, I'll give you one guess, how m- which one of those companies am I seriously evaluating?
1: Somewhere between zero and two.
0: Yeah, it's the one company who got back to me like within five minutes, 6.30 on a, on a, on a week weekend night and the other ones got waited until Monday. And so I started asking some of my SDR leader friends kind of, you know, what kind of hours does your team work? Um, do you guys allow some flexibility? And it seemed like there was still this expectation of an eight-to-five work schedule. And to me, I think that is um, a little bit crazy because people, the lines of of work and home are are kind of blurred. And if you want to leave at two o'clock to go, you know, go take a, a walk in the park with your kids in the afternoon, you can do that. Now come back online at six thirty, seven o'clock. I feel like companies should be um, Encouraging behavior where SDRs feel like, you know what, I'm excited to pick up the phone even though it's seven o'clock at night. So, do you ever see sales enablement leaders work with HR to, to try to maybe incentivize kind of weekend responses, weekend prospecting, off hour responses, off hour prospecting, things like that?
1: I'm going to give you two schools of thought. The first is I would say that companies are now, especially because we're in a virtual environment, are now more flexible than they've ever had to be. And it comes from the old adage of never confused activity with productivity. Uh I've never, as a leader, been a clock watcher. If you can get your job done in in 30 hours, do it. That means you're more efficient. It also means you've got some best practices to share with others. (laughs) So they're not putting in 70-hour weeks, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, incentivizing, this is the flip side of it. I'm not a big fan of that. I'm really not. Um, okay. And the reason is that we have a flexible enough schedule. And in, if you're doing things right and if you are enabling your people within, and I'm not, no one has an eight to five job. Let me start there. That's out. There will be times where you have to work weekends. Yeah. There will be times where you have to work deep into the wee hours of the night. We've all been there. But that should not become the norm, that should be the exception for those times. I think that we have to, as enablement people, start finding, especially right now, a a way to find, it's never gonna be fair, but a way to find mutually equitable hours for people to work, right? Love it. and, And if you're doing 70 hours, you need to ask yourself, first of all, what are you not doing right? And secondly, how do you now go show in a justifiable and validating form how this can be done differently and how this is being done in other places successfully within smaller parameters of time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you're working 70 hours a week, you're either a doctor or you're not very good at your job and you need to change.
1: And now to the sales leaders, there's never been a time where leading with humanity, compassion, empathy, and EQ has meant more than right now. If you've been a sales leader for a while, oh, well, we used to do this and we just did it until the hours were done. It's not how life works anymore. We also used to sit and watch a half an hour, 30 minutes to an hour's worth of talking head PowerPoint. Now we'll watch six, five minute podcasts, but not an hour of of just folks droning on. I think it's time for the sales leaders to reset their expectations because what's important to your manager is imperative to you. So if you are modeling positive behavior and showing how to be more efficient, effective, and more productive consistently, guess what? So will the people on your team.
0: Yep. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Well, let's talk about sales enablement. You mentioned KPIs. How are we measuring success of sales enablement? Um, sales leaders have quotas. Marketers need to hit their MQL targets. Customer success looks at churn. Um, product has story points, sprints they have to hit. Um, how do you, how are you, or where, where are you seeing success with companies aligning KPIs to the changes in the buying landscape, the changes in the selling landscape, and making sure that everybody's really on the same page when it comes to the motions we're going to go through to bring in revenue?
1: Well, as with all of my other answers, I believe in the power of three. So i okay. three <laughs> components First and foremost, number one, I believe there are two types of metrics. One that sales enablement owns, and another set that sales enablement impacts and influences. Interesting. Right. So what we influence and impact are things like average deal size, collateral use and frequency, deal velocity, new pipeline created, number of closed deals, um, quota attainment, time to revenue, win and loss rates. Those have not changed. Okay. What we actually own are things like, you know, the needs analysis, the program-based stats, the usage stats for your learning management, your content management system, all the, the um, sales-related communications that are being sent out, all of your statistics and metrics around e-learning. As I said earlier, smiley sheets and butts and seats won't get it done anymore. And I think that's just for sales. And second, I think there's a whole different set for customer success. And this tends to get left out a lot because everyone focuses on the BDRs and the AE. Let's not leave out customer success because we're building a big house. If we leave out customer success, we built this beautiful house, short hallway, where people would trip out of the back door <laughs> and we wonder why. Yeah, <laughs> right? totally. So customer success, adoption rates, uh, ARR, annual recurring revenue, customer churn rates, um, customer life values, CSATs, daily usage, engagement rates, escalation resolution, Reddit accounts, all those things, we can help influence by preparing folks on how to address those and also how to hedge those. Now, the same stats go for for, um, customer success, as I said, for sales. It's still about numbers. It's about metrics. It's about tools. It's about processes, programs, platforms. Ultimately, it comes down to really removing those selling obstacles and getting folks to do what they do best. The third thing, Numbers are statistics until you can tie them to something that matters. And what I mean by that is we throw all these numbers and stats out, right? Meet with your sales leaders and find out of that whole laundry list, sales leaders and customer success leaders, that whole laundry list that I gave you, which actually mattered to them. Because otherwise, enablement is giving sales what we think they need. No. And we're also setting ourselves up to be two things. One. The fixers, the broken things, which we're not. IT's got that worked out. I stay out <laughs> for their way, right? And secondly, sales scribes and, and sales servants, which we're not. We have to be seen as a true business partner with them. And that also comes down to where do the metrics fit in to the buyer's journey? Where do they fit into the selling motions? What tools are required? And just because there's a million tools out there, you don't need a million of them. Yeah. Right. What's the best thing for the maturation point and the maturation cycle of your company right now? And then at the end of the day, how do I come back and show those three things? How do I show that we have accelerated speed to revenue? How can I show that we've helped to increase seller productivity? How can I show that we are helping create customers for life? And finally, how can I show that we are removing selling obstacles? We do that. We're of high value and we're partners. We don't do that we will forever be viewed as the fixers of broken things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that sales enablement leaders are starting to to get a dedicated budget for their own tools like LMS or CMS um, type of solutions to help with that e-learning or is that still kind of a struggle?
1: Well, it depends on where you report, right? I've reported to marketing, to sales ops, to the COO, to the CRO. And I will say this, when it comes to budget, (laughs) The closer to the sun you are, the closer you are to budget. And remember, sales is the sun.
0: Yeah, and that's the fair. The
1: further you get, the colder it gets for you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, absolutely. It's funny. A sales leader, it's always like, oh, there's no budget. Well, I need this. Okay, you can have that um, because that's all in the name of new revenue. So I've been if, on. If
1: it, will, if it will create more revenue or it will help to maintain customers and also cut down on attrition of internal sellers, Yeah. Well, there's always budget that'll show up.
0: Yeah. It's funny how that works. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Well, last question. Um, And it's really the, the reason I wanted to ask you this is because for the longest time I went through this period of my life, Roderick, where I was like, I want to go help people. I want to be a sales enablement leader. Um, And, I got talked out of it by every person that I, that I asked to, I was like, Hey, what advice do you have for sales enablement leaders? Like, is it awesome getting into this job? And they're like, no, it sucks. You're always the person to get blamed for when things go wrong. Um, and so I was like, okay, I guess I'm not getting into sales enablement. Um, for though for our folks listening that want to get into sales enablement, that feel like they want to help people, they, understand the change in the landscape of sellers and buyers they want to work across departments what advice would you give aspiring sales enablement leaders when it comes to finding a home where they are going to be embraced from other leaders in the company they're not going to be on an island like how do we find that home for those sales enablement leaders who do really want to make an impact
1: first of all it hurts my heart to hear that someone talked you out of
0: Oh, many people talk to me that out I of it.
1: Absolutely love. Oh, and what yeah. I find out is when people are saying those things, it's because they're not viewed as that valued partner that we talked about earlier. Yeah. They're generally viewed as, again, the fixers of broken things or as purely training. So when people come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about moving over from product marketing or I've been successful in a sales role and I want to move over, my first response is fantastic. And here's why because you bring credibility, especially sales folks, every, what did I start with today? First and foremost, I'm a sales guy. Uh-huh. That says I have walked in your shoes. I can talk to you about how comfortable or uncomfortable things are. I've taken down big whales. I've landed bluebirds and I've lost at the 13th hour. So I feel your pain. So come on in, join the party. Yeah. Because now what we can do is talk to other sales leaders and sales professionals. In their language, not in sales enablement speak. Kill the jargon and the bingo cards, please. (laughs) Right? There's value in coming with that background. And there's also value in saying, you look at things different. Sales enablement really has not shifted a whole lot in the last 20 years. Tools have innovated, but we're still doing a lot of things the same way. I will say this, the one humongous plus about COVID is that it made every sales enablement practitioner, not theorist, not analyst, but practitioner. Learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to do things differently, right? So as they're coming in, I'm like, you bring fresh ideas, new thoughts, a different set of lenses, and you also bring the willingness to learn and grow. So come on in, right? I want to learn from you as much as I'm sharing with you, just because I have 20 years of, just because I'm the guy that quote unquote coined this. I don't know at all, not at all. No, as I was writing my book, I realized as I was writing stories and and things like that, that I have learned so much in just the last three years beyond the first 17 or so when I thought that I was really learning sales enabled. And I was in bits and pieces. But I also stop and I I venture to ask you the question, why do you want to go into sales enabled? And I've asked that people go, well, you guys don't have a quota. Eh, Wrong answer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Our quota is everybody in the company. Top line, right? total,
0: total number.
1: Unlike when you talk to, and this is not disrespectful, this is just being honest. When you're talking to marketing and product marketing and you're trying to explain why we don't do enablement the last month of the quarter, why we're not going to do four webinars. To them, it's Wednesday. To sales, it's end of quarter. Yeah. Right? You come in as a salesperson into enablement, you know that already. Yeah. So as you're building programs, you're thinking about if this were me, what would resonate with me? When I was in a sales position, what do I wish I would have gotten? What did they teach me that didn't make sense that I can teach differently now? And what do they do to come back and reinforce this later that either someone did incredibly well or they never did?
0: Mm, Love it. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're at kind of a, a chasm in the sales enablement world where it's going to be an elevated role for those sales and practitioners that can come in and deliver, you are going to have a seat at the table. Um, And it's really going to separate the cans from the cans in terms of those that are able to deliver. You know, I think the past six months has shown that I think the the next six months are really going to show that. So this is amazing stuff, Roderick. I really do appreciate it. I have some nuggets that I personally taken away in terms of the buying experience. Um, Something, that has always been really important to me is making sure my team understands where buyers are going and not how it works, but why it's important to them. I love that little nugget that you, that you kind of shared with us today. Thanks. So companies should definitely be helping their sellers or customer success. If we're talking about G2 Crowd, like how are your, even your customers using the tools. Where are they going to find other users of your software? Um, that was that was huge for me. Um, the work hours, making sure we're leading by example, definitely that's that, that kind of goes without saying. And then making sure that we're not just looking at influence, but I think the word you used was impact in terms of the Absolutely. KPIs that sales enablement leaders need to be looking at in terms of being measured um, and ultimately tying that to new revenue. So Did I miss anything that uh, our buyers should walk away from or our prospects, our listeners? I'm still in sales mode,
1: Roderick. Um, Our listeners (laughs) should take away
0: from today.
1: Again, just because you're in sales doesn't mean you're always selling. The best salespeople I've ever worked with ask more questions than they did talk. If you're talking more than 50% of a, a conversation, you're over talking because we need to get back to focusing on having conversations and stop giving presentations.
0: Love it. That is absolutely golden rule to live by. I think that works in all aspects of life, just not even, not even sales, right?
1: The more Agreed. you listen,
0: the more you listen, less you talk, the better off you'll be. Um, how do people get a hold of you? Find out about your new book coming out.
1: <laughs> um, thanks for the plug on that. First of all, the book is called Sales Enablement 3.0. The blueprint to sales labelment excellence. It's all about where we're going and the things we're talking about now and how we've had to shift and where I see us going even further as sales labelment practitioners. That one uh, should be out in early December. Nice. To get connected, and if you can't find us, then you're not really looking. Um, <laughs> let me see. We're Roderick underscore J underscore Associates on Instagram, um, Roderick Jefferson Associates on LinkedIn, at the voice of Rod on Twitter as well as at the voice of rod on facebook you can hit me email info at roderickjefferson.com you can find us at roderickjefferson.com or you can find us on youtube at roderickjefferson and associates if you can't find us you're not really trying
0: i was gonna say i think the only thing you didn't list there was maybe quora or reddit yeah
1: well we're getting there
0: (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for your time today sir it was a pleasure as always And um, hopefully everyone took away some some things that they can go to use and
1: make an immediate impact. My absolute pleasure. If you'd like to know more, connect with me on LinkedIn. Send the questions my way. I'll do what I can to answer them. Perfect. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Thanks. Likewise. Bye.